This is The Book of Life, a podcast that uncovers life lessons from Judaism's most important book, helping you power your day with purpose. Here is Ruchi Koval. My husband and I have a very strange conversation every now and then. It is the conversation where we plan how we want to die. Now, I know that you're not really supposed to be comfortable talking about death, which is why there are about a thousand euphemisms for it. You may have noticed that a culture will come up with euphemisms for a given concept to whatever extent it is uncomfortable talking about those concepts. So, for example, we are uncomfortable talking about money and wealth. So we use words like successful, well-off, a person of means, a person of resources. You'll pay someone with a fee, an honorarium, remuneration. These are all ways of saying that a person has a lot of money or is getting money, but they're just more comfortable ways of saying so. The same thing is true of death. We'll say things like a person has passed away, a person has lost a loved one, a person is deceased or departed. All of these are sanitized ways of saying that they are dead. But my husband and I actually do talk about this every now and then. And here's our plan. The first issue is that we both want to live until 120, God willing. However, my husband is nearly four years older than me. So I told him that I would be willing to go when I'm 116 because we both really want to go at the same time because neither of us wants to outlive the other. That would be boring and terribly lonely. So the plan is that we will live with the help of God until I'm 116 and he is 120, and we will die peacefully in our sleep at the same time with no pain. That's the plan, and I'm sticking to it. Obviously, we have no way of knowing when or how we're going to go, and it is completely out of our hands. What does it even mean to die well? I think we would all agree that a person doesn't want to be in pain when they die, not physically and not emotionally. I think a person would want to feel that They have put their affairs in order, both financially and spiritually, that they feel that they have left their legacy, that their loved ones are going to continue in their path and perpetuate their causes. I think it means that we've apologized to the people we need to apologize to and are leaving on good terms with our hearts and minds at peace. I think it means that we are leaving with minimal regrets about what we should have or could have done. Bronnie Ware, a palliative care worker, wrote an essay in 2009 called Regrets of the Dying. It was shared millions of times and eventually was published as a book. What is the number one regret of the dying? Having lived one's life to fulfill other people's expectations. So I think that part of dying well is feeling that you lived life to its fullest to fulfill your own values and beliefs. When my father, of blessed memory, passed away 41 years ago, he wrote us kids an ethical will two months before he died. In it, he wrote messages to us about how he wanted us to behave and that he wanted my mother to remarry. He also wrote what he wanted to appear on his gravestone. This is what it says. Every time that my children come to my grave, I want them to recommit themselves to a life of Torah values and living. 
I can't believe that two months before he died, my father had the presence of mind to think about what he would want us to know when we came to visit his grave. My brothers and I were only eight, six, and four at the time. It boggles my mind still. Even though my father obviously did not live a long life, he passed away when he was 30, I do feel that he died well. I feel that he didn't have regrets, that he left us kids the legacy he wanted us to have. I know that he is smiling down on us and is so proud of us. My Aunt Beverly passed away over a decade ago, and she was one of the most positive and optimistic people I know. She didn't want to talk about her death while she was sick because she was so positive that she would get well. By the time we all realized how bad things had gotten, she wasn't able to communicate. And so I did not experience closure with her about her death and what it meant. I do feel extremely grateful that my father was able to die with peace and closure knowing full well that he was going to die and doing whatever he could to prepare for the day. In our Torah portion this week, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 48, we learn of Moses preparing to die. This is the second to last portion in the whole Torah. And the entire fifth book of the five books of Moses consists of Moses' parting speech to his beloved nation before his death. In it, Over the course of 37 days, he put all his affairs in order. Some of the verses in the fifth book of the Torah are the most stirring, rousing, inspirational, and memorable words in the entire Torah. And in this, the second to last Torah portion, we read of Moses' death. The Torah teaches that Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, all siblings, died with a kiss. What does that mean? The Torah teaches that there are 903 forms of death. The mildest of them all is death by a kiss. The Torah says that this is like removing a hair from milk. What does that mean? It means that for Moses, his body and soul were so separate and distinct from one another that it was easy, so to speak, for God to extricate the soul from the body. But when a person is all tangled up in their body, identifies themselves strongly by what their body looks like and what it can do, it becomes harder to separate. When a person identifies themselves primarily as a soul by what their values, character, and moral choices are, it is easier to disentangle from the body. What did the kiss of death look like? It meant that his soul gradually moved beyond him, almost glad to be free from his body. And now his soul was sort of allowed or given the freedom to return to the supernal light in the next world. It means that he died without pain, without anxiety or apprehension. Although none of us can determine or anticipate how we will die, although my husband and I will keep planning, I definitely think that the story of Moses and his siblings is inspiring in the sense of the things we can plan for. Because we're limited in how much we can plan our death, but we can certainly plan how we live. If we live a well-planned and well-executed life, a life of remembering that primarily we are our souls, and that our souls are eternal, and that our bodies are finite and limited, In this way, death will also be, in a sense, well-planned. 
we will find that we have far fewer regrets and far fewer loose ends to tie up when the end comes near. And although none of us can plan to die with a kiss, maybe we can plan to at least live with a kiss. To live well, to live responsibly, to live with a plan, to prioritize the soul and the things that matter most. Life with a kiss, now that's in our control. This is the Book of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Join Ruchi again next time for more meaning and inspiration from Judaism's most important book to power your day with purpose. You're listening to a Momentum Podcast. For unlimited inspiration, wisdom, and empowerment, visit MomentumUnlimited.org.